guys, can I share some really exciting and uh, not depressing news with you guys? Yes. Sure. Please. La- Last of Us 2, uh, not delayed as badly as we thought. Yay. <laughs> I need to splice in the sound effect from uh, Monty Python. <laughs> yay. I, I'm, my, my yay may not sound very excited, but I'm stoked because it's like the first, it's going to be the first like really long game to come out in months <laughs> that I'm excited about. Yeah. So uh, what, what does, well, what disintegration three days before, but I'm guessing that's like a probably a 10, 12 hour campaign. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, but like the, so much of the fun with, dis- with disintegration is going to be the multiplayer. Um, oh, for sure. But, it, but you know, they don't, they don't fulfill the same thing. So it's no. like, no, but they both <laughs> contribute to my time sink uh, problem. <laughs> Look, I think I think uh, Last of Us Two real heavy, probably probably gonna be real heavy. So you're gonna want to you know cool off every once in a while, and to do that, you can just hop over to Disintegration, hop in a multiplayer match, have some like bad shit crazy fun, and kind of detox from the uh, the intensity that is The Last of Us, and then, <laughs> and, then, and then starting the next day, you can hop back into The Last of Us. <laughs> being fresh and rejuvenated yeah i don't know what you're talking about with heavy i mean (laughs) post-apocalyptic hate crime like what what possibly in there could possibly bring me down (laughs) oh my god that game (laughs) so yeah this is this is pretty cool news um so june june 17th june 19th yes june 19th june 19th uh is the new ship date for last of us two, which is just over a month out as we record this. So like in four days, right. For the listeners. <laughs> Guys, I, am, I am so bad at this. I really got to get better. <laughs> but I, like I said, we just need to hire an editor. So anybody out there that wants to edit our podcast for us, you will receive 50% of the profits that we make off of each episode. That number keeps uh, going up. It's contracted per episode, so I mean, month number ah. may change in the future. But right now, Excellent. yeah, fifty percent per episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so as we said, though, disintegration, uh, which we talked about on a very early episode, also got a launch date, which is yes. June sixteenth. And um, get hyped! I know June's June's shaping up to be good for the games. Are you are you a little bit excited about disintegration, Brett? I'm very excited. I'm so <laughs> freaking excited. <laughs> um, they did a there was a story trailer. The story trailer mm-hmm. uh, has some cool little reveals um, about like who you're going to be playing with in terms of maybe some characters who we weren't even sure really existed in the world anymore, um, and it kind of sets up. You know, this is your crew and how you how you came together, um, what you got to do to to defeat the big bad guys. Um, Yeah, very excited for that. The old guy who like I want to call it the farm, but like he's the the human, right? Like human. Yep. Yeah. They come across this human. I was like, whoa, who's that? Because everybody's supposed to be robots. So I'm, I'm curious to there's like. It's kind of a uh, 
matrix thing going on, right? There's like the, mm-hmm. the, the real humans. And then there are the humans that were like born in the machine, you know? Yeah. I kind of got that. Got that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It kind of gave me like a, like early halo concept, uh, vibes. Cause the, there was like the whole time when halo was going to be like a more RTS course. And it was going to be a bit more like there was like a base that you kind of like were venturing out from. And for some mm-hmm. reason, I just kept getting those vibes watching that trailer. So I wonder if part of this is him <laughs> like going back to that original concept. He's been for, mulling on it for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Well, in uh, in one of in a recent uh, IGN um, podcast interview, he talked about how myth is like was a major influence on this game. Makes sense. I haven't read that, but yeah, uh, that totally makes sense. I freaking loved myth back in the day. 3d like terrain mattered. It was tough though. It was, we shall go play myth. We should do a let's play, uh, but with myth, not that any of us can (laughs) run it. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure I ever beat myth Two. Uh, so I do this thing um, where I tend to get into these games. I'll, 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 I'll slow play them. And then as the action of the, you know, like the storyline picks up and things are moving along, I kind of just like binge like the last half to third of whatever it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so my memory of the games, like my memory of the first half of things is pretty good. But the memory of the second half thing of things kind of blends together and falls apart. And I really don't remember the last part of Myth 2 very well at all. I yeah, definitely I, beat it. But I probably beat it like all in one afternoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, my, my problem is I've forever been in any kind of strategy game uh, a save scrubber, scrummer. So. What is that? It's like, oh, I'm, it means every time you do something right you save and then when you screw something up you revert. you reload to ah. that save so you, so if you ever look at my save files for any or role, uh any strategy game i ever play no matter if it's at li- you know live action or or not live action or uh, real time or turn based i just have hundreds of saves that are just <laughs> Because I have to make sure I keep a bunch of old saves. Because what if I thought I did well, but I accidentally screwed up this part that I didn't know about? Yeah. So lots of strategy games I have like given up on just because I get too bogged down in trying to get that perfect <laughs> mm-hmm. that perfect game. I didn't know there was a term for it. I used to do that. Um, and I don't, I don't know when, but I kind of just stopped. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to like... I'm going to make my decision and commit to it. And which is good because when I started playing the Witcher, um, <laughs> there's, there's no good way out of a bunch of that. I, I, I get the sense. And yep. uh, <laughs> that, that was, uh, that was pretty reinforcing. Like, Witcher three, you, you got to learn quick that no, you didn't choose the wrong option. Every option is depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, with, with like, I think the only exception in Witcher 3 is like the overarching decision that you don't even know that you're affecting that has like 
you can get a what people would consider a happy ending for that but mm. but uh yeah as far as like every story it's like oh man uh this guy and his wife like his wife's cheating on him i should i should just let this monster kill her but then he's mad at me even though she he knows that she cheated on oh man this is awful like no matter what i do <laughs> somebody's mad at me and it's uh save scumming by the way not scrumming my brain farted in the middle of that so it's all good save scumming okay well i am just excited to play disintegration um with my new controller oh mm. nice mm. so i think it was last episode we were we were talking and in the middle of it i was lamenting my lack of an xbox uh elite controller since mine had uh been my my series one uh <clears throat> controller had just or my elite version one um had gone bad a while ago and so i haven't I've been playing just with the, the regular controllers. And, and by gone bad, you mean uh, torn uh, itself apart? No, actually, it was just the um, the the thumbstick was, was drifting. And I attempted to fix it myself uh, because it was like a $10 part on Amazon. Um, and at that point, it was completely destroyed because <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> to fix that, you have to take it all apart, which... I mean, I tried to I tried to do some stuff in the in the software. Uh, Microsoft has actually done a lot to allow you to um, retrue, yeah, retrue things, and you know how sensitive is your is your stick to begin with? You know that initial velocity. Um, so none of that had worked. I mean, it worked for a while, but eventually, stick drift gets so bad that you can't do anything about it except replace right. the part. Uh, so that failed horribly because I'm not an, uh, like a mechanical engineer and, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, finally, uh, whenever we recorded the last episode, I kind of managed to find one online. I had been looking for a while and was kind of striking out, but I found one, uh, new. And so I pulled the trigger and did, did this involve a seance or perhaps uh summoning of a dark spirit and maybe, candles? Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. You, I mean, can you hear it? If if you play the last episode backwards, will you hear that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I, you're seriously talented if you if you did that last episode. Um. So yeah, I, oh, man, I've been missing the elite and its paddles and just all of the the, the classy build of it. Um. But I'm very excited to get into disintegration and map some of those controls and stuff to my paddle so I can dominate the air. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's going to be one of the first games that I actually use the paddle for. Mm-hmm. I've de- I've definitely had some games where I've used it in the past, but they weren't really necessary. It was just making things a little bit easier. That, I almost feel like it's going to be necessary. Yeah. Because there's some complicated stuff to do on there. So Very okay, okay so. so there are two two points of interest here. One is your Elite Series Two uh, mm-hmm. review, and then there's a whole discussion about uh, our experience with the Elite Series controllers in general. I don't know which one you want to tackle first. Uh, I'll just real quick talk about the Series Two, and I think um, do both of you have? Yep. 
Elite Series twos. I do. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, then we can get we can all kind of give some impressions. But um, man, I love this controller. Um, it's it's minor improvements from the series series one, but all of the improvements are uh not justified. Like they're they're all like they all feel like worth it. Right. Um, like one of the things that I really liked about the first one was the was kind of that that padded grip, um, and they expanded that. They made it bigger so that like basically the whole uh, handle part is that nice rubbery textured grip. Um, they improved the uh, on the thumbsticks. You can actually go in and like tighten or loosen things mechanically like not just in software you can go in and mess with it mechanically with a key um and then the battery uh not having to worry about uh putting in rechargeable batteries or putting in double a's every so often it's nice to be able to just set it on its charging dock when i'm done for the night and know that it's going to be full power uh next time i pick it up i was trying to think it's been a while since i switched uh controllers and to me the biggest difference was that the series two um wasn't falling apart completely (laughs) which is why i did the upgrade i probably wouldn't have done the switch except for the fact that the uh the grips the uh, on the underside of my first gen were just completely coming off like the warmth from my hands while playing you have like hot oily hands i know this isn't like a mm. i hope that's not too weird of a question so hot. But, uh. yeah <laughs> no I, I tend to yeah i tend to sweat um oh. yeah molly actually joked that like i should uh i should get quote gamer gloves that mm-hmm. like <laughs> give me some grip and and don't let my hands sweat so much because i would like every few minutes like i'm like wiping them on my jeans mm. especially when things are crazy so um yeah, literal sweaty uh, when, you know, Trials of Osiris and <laughs> such <laughs> showdowns and Apex. I, um, yeah, I just murdered that controller, though. It it completely was coming off. And, like, then it was, like, sticky because, like, the glue, mm. oh, it was not good. So yeah, I, I pre-ordered the Series 2 and got it the first day it was available. And it's nice. so far held up very well, but it also hasn't been long enough to, you know, determine if it's really a substantial uh, build quality upgrade or not. Everything else though, seems great about it. Um, like you said, minor improvements, but like all in the right direction. And mm-hmm. I have no complaints about any of the changes. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked my series too. Um, similar to you. I've, I think I've owned, so I own two regular elites uh, because I bought an original one. I didn't have any problems with it. I actually bought another one because I was playing on my PC a lot at the time mm. and, and it switching back and forth between the two of them was a pain that made that easier since with the windows 10 software. So it's not as big a deal, but at the time it was like just worth the money just to get another one. <laughs> so one of them, the grips are almost completely off of, I've fixed it several times with super glue. Um, but it still works fine. I don't like nothing about it has broken aside from the grips. So I still use them. Um, I did replace the stick, I guess, uh, one of the sticks 
because well, you but use a long stick, they, right? So I use a long stick on for the right finger because it makes it so you can aim finer a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So basically, I have a spare for each stick. So I I think I've replaced them once on the original Elite that I had. Uh, but I love the Elite too. Like you said, there's nothing like that really stands out as this is so much better, but just all together, it's amazing. And the battery is so good that I forget to charge it and it doesn't matter for weeks, literal weeks. I'll use it and just throw it on my couch every day. And then like two weeks later, I'll notice that the yellow light is on in my controller, which by the way, comes on at 50%. So literal weeks before it even gets to 50%, which is crazy, (laughs) especially if you compare that to the PlayStation 4 controller, which if you play it for four four hours, hours, (laughs) it needs to be plugged in. Yeah, Sony could learn a thing or two. Um, Yeah, I don't don't think I really have. I'm trying to think if there's anything about it that I don't like as much. I don't think there is. I mean, it's a little bit of a pain that they switched to USB-C. And by pain, you mean awesome. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there's a there's a part of it that's awesome because I'm I want everything to switch to the same USB. We've talked about that before, but it seemed early at the time. But that was also because they hadn't announced yet that everything was going to work with the new console. And I'm pretty sure that's why they made the decision to make it a USB-C is because of the new console, because it would have been a big pain if it was like, hey, for the next year, you you'll have to switch just for this one controller but yeah well they do ship you a usb a to c cable yeah but i mean if you depending on how you play it's like you got to go behind your couch or go behind your entertainment center and plug in the new the new cable like it is it is a pain even if it's not a huge deal it's annoying i was i was psyched that it uh they switched to usb c because <laughs> because the the micro usb like every single time i have to look at it and be like okay which is that is that the fat end or is that okay no nope that doesn't work flip it over nope no i had it right the first time okay oh yeah there we go <laughs> <laughs> uh, i have a superpower i always plug it in right the first time i'm good with usb I'm a, impressed. but not usb not, not micro <laughs> it's interesting um the guys who i do my other podcast with um i'm not here to plug that right now but if you were to um, plug in what would you <laughs> it'd be uh oh, what the fanboy uh podcast all about uh entertainment so lots of movies and games <laughs> discussion over there <clears throat> but they both are really hard on their controllers and they are very uh scared of spending 150 to 180 dollars on a controller so, so when um, you say hard on their controllers, is that like because they, they like they squeeze them real hard, or like I, they chuck I it across the so. room? They they're not they don't, they're not throwers. Okay. They don't throw because nothing's um, going to save you there. No, but I think yeah, I think they're just they are either aggressive in holding it. They don't have or, a light, not a light touch. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, one of them, one of their, one of them just their strategy is they go and on black Friday, they pick up like two controllers for cheap. Um, and they just, because they know that he knows he's going to, you know, want to replace kind of his one once every six months. 
Um, and I'm just curious to th- like in your guys's head, do you think, cause I think that this thing could withstand that kind of like intense playing. It's it, to me, it feels sturdy enough, but would you recommend like the series X or not? Yeah, not the series X, the elite series two. Come on, Microsoft, your naming conventions <laughs> to, to a player who's maybe worried about, being a little more aggressive with their with their controllers or is it just better for them to you know keep keep using the cheap stuff because you're going to break them (laughs) i don't think i'd recommend it to people that break a lot of controllers yes yes i'd say it's sturdier than your average xbox controller Mm -hmm. but not but not by like a crazy amount like it's not if you're breaking a regular one you're probably going to break this one and that just means you're going to be breaking a much more expensive, a more expensive controller. one yeah uh, not to mention there's stuff that comes off of them and i've before it, a couple of times not often dropped my controller on even the carpet and then the stick falls off and i have to go find it so if right. you're roughing controllers and that you're dropping them a lot and stuff like that you're gonna eventually lose those or mm-hmm. maybe even break them so yeah that's what i was gonna say i the nature of the breaking uh that that informs to me like whether it's worth getting or not i would say though generally speaking get the series two the series two if you can get your hands on one uh because with the stock controller that comes with with the xbox i um i i tend to like over time they they tend to kind of squeak or like kind of get creaky yeah. You know? Uh and I have not had that with the either of the Elite series, the either the one I had for a long time or this new one yet. Mm-hmm. Um and so if things are bolted together a little bit more a little bit more tightly and they use I don't know, more higher quality components to to put them together, um then maybe that does solve the problem. But Timothy's right. Uh the things that let you adjust the system also mean that parts are going to be able to be removed. And if, yeah, if you're dropping them or, or they get banged around, uh, that stuff tends to, you know, get, get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you guys use all four paddles on, on your elite controllers? Mm, I only use two. Never. I've never used all four. I, I tried to use all four when, when I first got it. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. man, I have all these <laughs> buttons. And that lasted like two hours, maybe. Mm. <laughs> I gave up. But I'll tell you, as much as I like the paddles, the problem I have with the paddles is that controller design has been around for so long now, back to the original Xbox, that it is so hard to reprogram my brain for the pads. Like, And I'll do it. Like, I'll play an eight-hour session, and I'll finally program my brain, and then the next day, I'll forget about them. I'm curious what you primarily programmed your your pads. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you do with them, and which ones do you, do you have still, still attached? I always have one of the small ones attached, and that's actually because I use it as the shift button on Xbox so that I can record. Because Xbox mm-hmm. added a shift option. So I, I have shift. Uh, I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head because I just do it 
without thinking now, but I hold shift and then I, it's like X or something and it'll start record, uh, it'll record the last five minutes. Um, as far as games, it's different in each game. It just kind of depends on in that game, what is the thing you need to do while your fingers are still on the sticks? Mm. So a lot of times that's like throwing a grenade or using an ability in a game that I still want to be able to run and control my aim at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I primarily, so I run two small paddles. Uh, the one on the right is my shift button, just kind of like what you mentioned. And then my one on my left is uh, my sprint. Um, one of the things I hate doing, I've always hated it, is pressing down on my thumbstick <laughs> to sprint. I feel like it's going to break my controller over time. And I know oh, that's funny. controllers are built to do that. But <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I have my left, my left one as uh, a sprint, and then my right one um is and then i also have my left one programmed so when i do shift uh i i record um so i hit i hit double uh double paddles to record basically oh that's clever i like that i don't remember what i set up shift um for some reason i think okay i run i run two small paddles Mm -hmm. and the right one is uh jump and the ah. left and the left mm-hmm. one is uh use or x interact whatever, yeah. whatever that is um and that would let me uh th- the main reason for that is that playing original destiny trials of osiris i could revive while staying in combat and, right. and that's what yep. really that's what trained me to to do it um when they added the shift thing i already was sort of in the habit of using both of those so i think i tried adding a third paddle, one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't like, I kept accidentally bumping it. Um, <laughs> cause it's just like how I hold the controller, I guess. Yeah. Those big ones. Like, I, I don't know who uses those. They're so in the way. Yeah. I actually put, you can put the small, uh, you can put the small one. It, they, they work in both positions. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I still have my, actually I just thought of this. I wonder if the old paddles for my old controller would still work. Cause I, I might have those follow up next week, next two weeks, <laughs> next month, next time, Let's be honest, next time <laughs> on insufficiently advanced. Does Michael have his old controller still? I honestly don't remember. I kept all of my, so when, once I got rid of my controller, I did keep all of my accessory parts. So they, I have, I do have backups still of all that stuff. Do they fit? Like, yeah. did you try yeah. uh, interchanging? Okay, cool. Nice. Yep. So, uh, one thumb up, two thumbs up. Uh, it gets two thumbs up for me. Um, well, wouldn't a re- wouldn't a good review for a controller be two thumbs down because they're ooh. on the they're on the controller? <laughs> yes. And then, sort of eh, the rest of the the news. Uh, Tech world's been kind of slow. There's been a fair amount of gaming stuff, though. We're ramping up, you know. It we... should have been E3 here <laughs> yeah. soon. So yeah, exactly. we're, we're starting to see what companies are doing in light of that. Yeah. And, and I got to say, just to preface it, I kind of like it. Like, the yeah. E3 is fun, 
but it's like almost overload and you forget about stuff because in you know three three or four days you get like 50 game announcements of some kind mm-hmm. and instead now we're getting it spaced out i mean we got stuff now this last week and we've got stuff all the way until i think the latest one is july i think that's the latest so we've got three months of stuff instead of three days worth of stuff yeah i'm i really am liking this this setup this year as well um you know partially as a uh, as someone who has a entertainment podcast where we talk about things it, it makes for like something new to talk about every week um and it, it allows us to like like kind of what you were saying focus on those little earth those smaller things smaller titles uh that maybe wouldn't get as much love when it's just here's 30 things and halo infinite well i we're talking about halo infinite right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it'd be i mean if you thought about it like movies it'd be like if all the indie films got announced on the same day as the next avengers movie it's mm-hmm. like nobody would be talking about the indie films. Everybody yep. would be talking about Avengers. Yeah. In that in the light of that, uh Xbox Series X uh, What what did Microsoft title this? They they held a <laughs> they, <laughs> they held titled a, it terribly. Yes. They held, they called it a gameplay reveal, third-party yes. gameplay reveals. And there was not enough gameplay in my opinion, and most of the internet's opinion. Was there any gameplay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there like, were, yeah, there was some. Very very brief. Uh, and not... I would say, like, the only game on... They didn't show any gameplay for, I think, was Scorn. That weird yeah. alien... Like, alien the movie-looking game. Inspired even it's game, not, yeah. Yeah. Not alien at all. <laughs> but I thought it was for, like, the first actually for the entire trailer until mm-hmm. they until showed the, title the name card and didn't say out. alien <laughs> <laughs> even then i was like subtitle alien <laughs> something right. <laughs> so yeah it, like they it, they all had gameplay um but they they didn't have enough for calling it a gameplay reveal conference or whatever you want to call it there was probably only 10 minutes of gameplay in yeah. over an hour of reveals. Yeah, it was a little light. Um, and I, I, you know, part of me says that this is, you know, I want to, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think in this kind of a sense, I necessarily can. Um, however, right. however, all that said, I still think a lot of these games look really, really good and really cool. Um, and I'm excited to see yeah. more. I think it was mostly just like a marketing mishap on what they titled this thing. So um, rather than spending a lot more time on that, I think we should talk about some of the games. Yeah. Well, and just one passing thing on that. Mm-hmm. We don't actually know how much of that was Microsoft's doing. Cause sure. it's totally possible that they said, Hey, bring like your games that are ready to show gameplay to this thing. And then, they dropped the ball and that's not taking the blame off of microsoft but we just don't know what went into it true so true yep it's a good point but yeah i'm I'm excited about a, a few of these games uh that the first one they showed bright memory infinite i thought looked 
really good. And I've, I've, it's actually bright memory. I don't, it's got a subtitle is already on PC. Um, and it, it was already impressive because it's actually a game. It's a first person shooter that had that like uh, melee combat with swords in addition to gunplay is a major factor. And it's really impressive because it's actually mostly made by one guy. Uh, one crazy. guy has done like 90% of the development. So Microsoft obviously came to him and gave him a bunch of money and said, we want you to make this into a full game for Xbox Series X. And I'm really looking forward to it because it looks really, really good. Yeah, I <laughs> I was very curious to what this was uh, watching it. And then that DeLorean shows up at the <laughs> end. And I'm just like, is this some effed up back to the future <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> time travel game no not not at all but um it i think uh you know they, they kind of say lead lead with a banger and they sure did and to the point where i think it may have stolen the show even yeah i i thought most of the other reveals were kind of disappointing they they not that they were none of them not that any of them looked bad but they just that it was a very pretty game with a lot of action mm-hmm. followed by games that didn't look as good and weren't as action bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or ones that are straight up teasers like scorn. Uh, yeah. I love the vibes that I'm getting from that teaser trailer, but it, that's all it is. And so it, yeah, yeah we, we don't even know if it's a horror game. Yeah. We don't know if it's a first person <laughs> shooter. We can assume it's a horror game, but right, right. N- not even that was confirmed. So I don't know how you pronounce this space flight simulator game. It's like Cor- chorus. chorus. It's like chorus. Uh, yeah, yeah, chorus. Yeah, yeah. It's like that band churches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Replace the U with a V, please. Uh, yeah, chorus. I thought that one looked pretty good. Um, just as someone who enjoys flight simulator games. Um, anything, anything pretty in space that lets me fly around. I'm here for, yeah. doesn't have to have deep mechanics. Um, as long as it controls well, it seemed to have an interesting story. Yeah. So you, yeah. it was like your ship has an AI built in. So it was kind of like a, Oh, like a, the last starfighter, I guess, kind of, kind of story to it. I don't know. What else you were excited about, Brights? And I think the rest, I'm just waiting to see more on. Yeah. Um, like, The Ascent was kind of an interesting cyberpunk-looking world. looked interesting, but that may be just riding on my hype for Cyberpunk 2077. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, the medium uh, sounds really interesting. Uh, it You know, it kind of sounds like, what if we did something similar to um, Hellblade, but made it more today in today's world you know modern yeah and make it a little more uh i don't know it's not maybe more demonic but more uh you know it's it's centered around a different kind of cultural thing right than than hellblade so um well i'm kind of waiting to see how much of a horror game that is mm -hmm. because i i mean i'm i've played a lot of games that people consider horror games and really liked them i mean a lot of people consider the bioshock games horror games yeah yeah so it's it just depends on where on that on that gauge it lands Mm because it did look a lot of things about it looked really interesting just i'm not a big 
straight horror game fan. So same. I think the rest are fine. Look fine. I'm kind of like you waiting to hear uh, and see more about them. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I think I, I think most of us were more interested in uh, next month's reveal mm-hmm. from from Microsoft, which is what their first party games are going to be, which yeah. I think they've already confirmed they're going to talk about Halo Infinite. Not that anybody's yes. surprised by that. Uh, at this point, how can they not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. How long has it been two years since they announced it? Three years? It's been mm. a long time. I think two years. Two years, Cause, I think. Because two years ago, we got like the the teaser, very brief teaser trailer that was like, "Look, it's actually on a Halo again." Right. Yeah, that got... was the that was like the engine, the test engine, right? Uh, stuff. And then last year we had the the Pelican stumbling upon Halo. Master Chief being recovered. Okay, that was last year. That was yeah. twenty nineteen. That was last year. All right. Yeah. Uh, the. But I, I mean, I think we're we might get quite a few surprises there. Um, we, I could totally be wrong, and where it's going to be disappointing. But the they bought a lot of studios, and very few of them have talked about what they're making. They have what fifteen? Um, is that right? I think it's more than that. But but yeah, they have a lot, and I've, I'm sure we'll probably see something about Hellblade which Hellblade was awesome. So I'm excited to see Hellblade 2. Yep. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, there's just a lot of studios I'm expecting we're going to hear some more about. So we'll see if, if rare is still uh, just working on sea of thieves or if they've got a, my guess is they have another, they have two teams. They have a team working on that and they have a team working on maybe a fable thing, <laughs> right? That's been the rumor. <laughs> I th- actually, I saw a rumor that they're working on a Perfect Dark game, which would be oh crazy. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'm here for that. Um, I doubt it. I'm sure it's just a rumor, but it'd be pretty that cool. That would be cool. Was that their own franchise that they came yeah. up with? Okay. Yeah, they yeah. basically, they they took all the all the development that they put into making the GoldenEye franchise. And, <laughs> and, and all that sweet, sweet money. <laughs> yep. The Gold Knight franchise. The Gold Knight game. <laughs> yeah. Might as well be a franchise. They sold enough copies. And strangely, never released a remaster. We had, They did have a sequel that was awful. Yeah. I remember I, playing the demo. I think I rented it at Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I got it. It was like on an Xbox demo disc, I believe. And I remember playing it and think, thinking it was terrible. So, Michael, what's a Blockbuster? <laughs> i thought i thought you were gonna say what ask me what a demo disc is oh there you go that's true that would that even <laughs> ages you even more um kids these well, we days can, <laughs> we can speculate all we want about what xbox is coming out with next month for their show but we were given a few other things uh yep. first and foremost a remaster wait hold on I just need to, it's 2020. <laughs> and you know who the hottest game in gaming is? Tell me, Brett. Is it Tony Hawk? It is Tony Hawk. <laughs> this came, I'm I'm not a, a Tony Hawk uh, game player. I've never played Tony Hawk games. So I, this is of little interest to me. That said, it's pretty cool seeing the graphical differences in the remaster here for Tony Hawk 1 and 2. 
Well, and it's made by uh, it's being made by certain affinity. So, mm-hmm. oh, I, that famously, I missed. Yeah, they famously remade uh, Halo One and Two, right? Did they do both? No, they didn't do the. Uh, they do all like the multiplayer maps and stuff from. Right, they did a whole bunch of multiplayer maps, first party stuff. So like Bungie. Well, no, but they. Yeah, they they with certain affinity worked with three four three and Saber to make Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary. So they it wasn't just certain affinity Saber. That's who I was thinking of. It looks like they mostly did the co op and PvP maps. So okay, yeah, that's typically what they I think tend to do. Anyway. And then they were also the the they brought the Halo One maps to Halo Reach. Um. Which is what they meant by the PvP maps, um, which were really, really good. They were gorgeous. Yeah. So I mean, so they're very well known for their work on, you know, different IPs, IPs that are not theirs. I think it's really cool to see the diversity of work um, that they do from, you know, uh, real-time strategy games things like world of tanks to halo and call of duty um seeing them you know have something have something new is always cool um and even if it's a game that or games that i'm not terribly interested in um i know that this is a big deal for some people so yay yeah yeah that's how i feel too i i think i've played probably 15 minutes of tony hawk but but I know it's a very beloved franchise, and people seemed legitimately excited about it, mm-hmm. about a, a remaster coming out. So, I just thought it was kind of funny. I was a little surprised. Oh, it, it's very, it's very funny. <laughs> yep. I, it was, yep. It was not the announcement I was expecting at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, not that I was expecting anything <laughs> specific, but just when Tony Hawk came up, I was, I, I was kind of shocked. Then let's see, and and I'll, we should say that and. This next thing were are part of the summer game fest that Jeff Keeley's doing, which uh, I think he probably had planned well before all this COVID stuff went on. Um, Can I just say Jeff Keeley looks good with gray hair? Yeah, he yeah. He, he, he's aging. Well. So does Tony Hawk. I aspire <laughs> to look as good as both of those men yeah. when yeah. I get my grays. <laughs> yeah. Well, to- Tony Hawk. I'm pretty sure is kept looking that good by being incredibly active. So, um, so yeah, then the, after the Tony Hawk announcement, uh, was it the next day or a couple days later? Uh, he, he was involved with the unreal engine five reveal. This is Jeff Keeley, not Tony Hawk. Yes. Which the unengine unreal engine five looks very good. Uh, yeah. Kind of astoundingly good. Yeah. yeah. And Interestingly enough, they were actually playing it live. At least they claim they were playing it live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we can't say with 100% certainty they were, but they say they were, which usually when they reveal these kind of engine demos, we just get a video, a pre-recorded video of the demo. And they know, and a lot of times they don't even try and claim that it's actually like a running game. It's just an engine making or basically a really pretty cinematic. Mm-hmm. So the fact that all that we saw was supposed to be actual gameplay was very, very impressive. Uh, anything stood out for you guys on it? Uh, many things. Um, 
first, I was just going to take a step back. So uh, this thing opens up, and it's kind of a uh, Tomb Raider-esque kind of um, Prince of Persia-feeling environment. And mm-hmm. you have this, like, this lady who's got a glowy Will-o'-the-Wisp character that, you know, she's just, like, lighting her face. And then it flips around, and she's walking through this crazy dungeon, and then they start showing off the engine and all the things that it does. And um, just from the top, like this was a, I think this was a textbook example of a really solid tech demo uh, to get people excited about, you know, the product, the unreal engine five product. Right. Um, They hit on a, a bunch of different things. They explained it as they went through and they pointed out, all the different technical aspects and, you know, why, you know, doing it this new way is important or efficient or higher quality. Um, and they did it in sort of a fun and like, I want to go play a game in that environment, whatever, whatever that, you know, the demo thing is, I want, I want a game out of that. It looks like a fun, interesting franchise. It kind of had a, uh, there's a little bit of Assassin's Creed going on at the end. And, um, I don't know. It, I just thought they did a really good job from the top of letting letting the product speak for itself and like not I don't know not overselling but like um I don't they they just let the work for speak for itself which is really nice. Yeah. Um but uh, sorry Brett I'll I'll let you uh give your impressions. Um yeah, sure. I I'm kind of like you guys uh really really impressed by this um this is the kind of thing i was uh i'll say expecting to see in engines uh, expecting sounds maybe a bit uh <laughs> uh entitled but it, it more of just with the kind of the crazy um hardware improvements we were getting i was really excited to see what engines we're going to be doing to take advantage of that um obviously this is something that could not be done on the ps4 or the xbox one um and just to see things like hey we're improving character animations so that when they're climbing up walls you know that movement looks more natural yeah, yeah, their feet are actually like you know attaching They're, to points on right. the wall, not to sort of floating in space and yeah. Bo- body deformation has always been a major complaint to me about current modern day games. Mm-hmm. Is I don't I hate seeing feet go into objects mm-hmm. or yeah. hands go into objects, and they never hide it well. I there's so few games that try and hide that. Yeah, even even things like, you know, walking into doorways and having something unscripted like reaching up and touching that door as they walk in, like that um r- that interaction, the ability for the game to really interact with the objects that it puts in it. Like the the objects are beautiful and then having the ability to just kind of randomly do things, you know, depending on the game, obviously um, that may or may not work, but even things like the fabric and the hair 
how it moves against the, the character, I think is above and beyond what we see in anything today. Yeah. I, I don't even know where to start really. <laughs> <laughs> They've got, um, from, it, it opens up in this dark cave and they've got this, um, uh, redonkulously high polygon count <laughs> environment where they turn on the polygon view and it looks like noise because mm-hmm. every polygon has a different color and it's essentially like, um, a polygon per pixel sort of like that's, that's kind of the level of detail that they're targeting with this. But what's really amazing to me, and they, they do this in a couple different places, but um, they are using, they're able to import very high resolution assets. So like <clears throat> they were talking about the stones uh, on the ground, it's, 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 it's rubble. There's thousands of these little rocks on the ground and each of them is like a million triangles because they're from a company that what they do is they take real rocks and they scan them at ridiculously high resolution with like 8k textures and they do 3d geometry mapping to get the surface of this rock just right. And then if you're, you know, doing CGI for Netflix and you want, you, you, you know, need to have like, rocks in your scene you can drop these rocks in and uh you can't tell that it's not you know in the footage because it's such a high quality asset um so they dropped a bunch of those into a game engine and they didn't have to like lower the quality of them they didn't have to sort of take the you know source product and then grind it down to a lower quality you know, approximation, they just took the asset and dropped it in the engine and the engine decides what it needs to cull and, um, you know, get rid of to keep performant while keeping the display, you know, high quality, um, which was just sort of astounding when they were talking about the amount of work that the engine was doing. Um, I sort of wonder what the actual process is. Like if you're the game developer and you have to build these things and what kind of, you know, pre-computing has to be done to make this stuff work. Uh, but it, it was, it was pretty wild. And then they turn on the global illumination system, which was, <laughs> like just blew my mind. So it's um, kind of, I wasn't clear if it was actually path based uh, light rendering. It's, it's not okay. It is not. So it's not a ray trace. Um, Glo- global illumination. I believe the phrase alone means that it's not path tracing. There's some kind it? of weird. Yeah, I believe okay. so. I just took it to mean that like this was the you know when you're when you're lighting your scene and this is like sort of it's not like an individual small light. It's a thing that's going to light the entire environment as though it's you know the sun. Right, but with path-based, that's kind of the idea that the sun is a source. It's not It's not universally illuminating things, which is why the computation gets so much more complicated because it is just using it as a single light source and figuring out exactly what should be lit. lit, lit. <laughs> unlike, uh, unlike the idea of global illumination, which is just, it's more, yeah, we so, want everything to look right so what without confused, having to actually do it right okay so what confused me about it was uh they were talking about bounces um 
in the global illumination system. And I, I didn't quite, uh, know what they meant. Uh, in so, that, in so that basically, aspect. basically it's, they're talking about reflection. Okay. So it's, it's so just not, it's not necessarily ray traced. Right. Right. It's more, they basically have an algorithm that just goes, if the light's hitting here, this is how we splash it. So it looks pretty good. Got it. And the, and it's gotten a lot better over, over the years so that ray trace, even though ray tracing is awesome, ray tracing is probably going to become less and less of a thing that people are willing to spend the resources on as these algorithms and stuff in the engines get better, get better. And better. So, right. Uh, yeah. So this global illumination system though was amazing. They, they move the lights, the main light source around and the whole cave reacts, uh, you know, depending on how the lights coming in and each of those high quality polygon geometries of the stones, you know, is casting their own shadows and uh, it, it just looked gorgeous. Um, yep. Yeah. And then they, they continued, they showed, uh, you know, audio and, and it helped. I, the first time I listened, I watched it was just on regular speakers and then I put it on headphones and listened to it again. And, uh, you know, they've got like full, you know, surround reverberation, um, you know, based on the environment and, uh, yeah, it was really cool. Um, but really what it comes down to is they, in addition to the animation stuff, Brett mentioned, they are allowing artists to import super high resolution work product, um, straight into the engine rather than having to make different level of detail, um, you know, dummy versions and, and manually build, you know, high, medium, low quality versions of all the assets. Um, you know, they, they did this really cool thing where you walk into this room and there's this huge statue and it's very high polygon count. And they said it's straight out, out of uh, ZBrush, which is, you know, a 3d sculpting system. And you always see this when they shoot documentaries about game games being developed and they've, they've got these characters and the artist is in there, like making these like beautiful, fine details. And you never see any of that in the shipping game because, uh, and that's always bothered me, (laughs) but like you never see any of that really beautiful work in the shipping game because you just can't compute it in a 3d, you know, the game engine. Um, but in this, uh, instance, they made it so that you can drop the, the actual asset into the game and it will run it as basically as high quality as it can and looks beautiful. But not only that, you can make a whole bunch of different copies of it. So they, they show this one gorgeous statue. And then the next room, the character walks into is this crazy, huge cavernous room with like hundreds of copies of the same statue. And they're like, I think they even did it more dramatic than that. Didn't they? It was the same room. And that was basically, no, it was like the next the, room. The it lights was, turned on. No, it was the next, like she walks into the next room and then that's like where she like turns the light on and stuff. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's, they're like, yeah, this is, you know, like you can have tons of these and you just drop them in and it will, it can handle this, which was really cool. Um, and so, yeah, then it all sort of comes together with, um, you know, re, reusing all these assets and the lighting and casting shadows and just looks cinematic and gorgeous. And then they cap it off with this crazy thing where she's full. This is the, uh, assassin's creed kind of thing. She like jumps off the tower and just like, is like flying through the environment. And 
if you have to think about all the assets and all the data that has to be streamed and loaded into memory and out of memory as, as the scene's going by and like how much stuff is going by constantly, right. You know, every second. Yeah. Um, like it's working hard, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but it was running really smoothly. It looked gorgeous. There was amazing motion blur and the environment was like changing around her, you know, it was like, you know, rocks and stuff are falling and, um, it, uh, yeah. And then, you know, it comes to an end, you know, right at that portal at the end with the beautiful lighting and everything. I thought it was really cool. And I haven't been excited about like a tech demo. Uh, for a really long time, but I, I I totally dug the uh, the Unreal Five thing. Yeah, and I, I guess since uh, you gushed, then I'll I'll take the bad cup part and say it is really impressive. I'm not taken away from anything that was just said by Brett or Michael, but uh, just be aware uh, for anybody listening. This is it. We're not going to see anything on that level probably for years no yeah yes oh, yeah. that is correct <laughs> uh unreal engine 5 first of all isn't even going to be out at the launch of ps5 and xbox series x um and hasn't even been ported to pc yet so oh it hasn't i didn't see that mm, they yeah they said later that it's coming to high-end pcs later um so all of that's really cool this is stuff that we are planning for this is not stuff that's going to be hey next gen's going to launch and all games are going to look like this right uh and then on top of that you also have to always remember anytime you see a tech demo no matter how how much they say this is a real working game you can play this it is the definition of a vertical slice yep it's literally (laughs) them making (laughs) the most streamlined game they can make to show off how cool their tech is so Probably no game may ever look that good in Unreal Engine 5 because it's not a 10-minute experience that you're going to play developed by a huge team just to show off their their engine. So, Yeah, did they ever say, like, how long they spent putting that demo together? I hadn't seen anything. I don't think they ever do. I had thought I had seen something like it was 20 people over the course of, like, two or three months maybe that's actually that would be a lot faster than i would expect that would be yeah that would be much faster i was than thinking I years it wasn't but, years no it was months but it, but even with that it's also the people that make the engine so it's right. not exactly like like they're which is why we scratch. see so many so many uh triple a games use custom engines i mean yep. mo- a lot of them are based off of something in the past but you know customize their engines out because typically but, it is easier to you know build with what you make but and no 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 engine no matter how well developed is good at everything every every engine is better at some stuff than other things and with a tech demo like this they're going to show off everything their their dem their uh, engines good at and they're not going to show anything that their engines bad at so right. it'll be interesting to hear after developers get their hands on it, how, how good it is at everything the developers want to do. I was thinking about the, uh, sort of non gaming repercussions for this because, um, the Mandalorian famously, they were using unreal engine four. Is that right? 
uh, yeah. to, to build out environments. They, there's some fantastic videos. I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes. Um, but for the Mandalorian to make it work on the budget that they needed and to be able to shoot in all the different environments that they needed, they built this huge, um, I don't know what you call it. It's like beyond panoramic. It was, it's like a almost, <laughs> it was like a 270, 290 degree giant video wall with a huge video ceiling. <laughs> yeah. Um, where they, uh, they had these LEDs that were, they're small enough that when you put, uh, when you put your character, you know, your actors and you're in your costume and you get some, you know, uh, some, you know, set pieces, uh, and you start filming the, the background is blurred out enough and you, you, you don't get, uh, more patterns. And so they project a version of the scene on this back wall and you shoot your, your scene. And, uh, for the most part with the Mandalorian they they were able to take the footage straight into post and not have to do it. They didn't have to like replace environments or anything. And it's all these unreal engine environments that they built out and then put under this like virtual backdrop. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, what, what could you do from a non gaming perspective? Like, is this going to become a more common, uh, you know, Hollywood technique? Um, and just what other things can you do with with a powerful lighting and physics and environment engine? That- I mean, I mean, that's it makes perfect sense. The if you just think about it, all of these engines have cinematic components to them, cinematic pieces of the engine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these en- these uh, games you're playing, the cinematics a lot of times are being run, are being built in Unreal Engine four. So. Yeah, why wouldn't that's literally billions of dollars put into this system that all it's built to do is make pretty graphics. So why wouldn't why wouldn't the film industry save some money and instead of developing their own way to do it, why wouldn't they just piggyback off of Yeah. Unreal's work. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. No, I would I would completely agree. I think that um on top of you know, gaming implementations um we're gonna see some cool things with uh with even just speed of and it's and it's probably nothing that we'll necessarily see as an end user but for a production like the mandalorian they can you know uh create these worlds faster at 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 higher resolutions and complexity um what they do on that show is incredible and i highly recommend if you have disney plus going and watching uh some of the behind the scenes stuff is really really cool and then uh one more playstation uh announcement this is a a game that i i you have talked about timothy and then i just have like not had it on my radar um (laughs) but i'm gonna call it uh ancient japan Witcher three <laughs> also red dead redemption. Yeah. I mean, uh, ghost of Tsushima. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right. You did. But, uh, it's kind of, it seems like it's going to be this gen's last exclusive game. Uh, I, 
I don't think we're going to get another another game that's not cross-gen. This, uh, I mean, and you know, this might be cross-gen in the future, but it's not being advertised as a cross-gen game. So right, uh, and shipping in July, which which really, I'm I'm actually surprised it's coming out this soon because they they didn't really show gameplay much. They showed a, a pretty brief gameplay demo two or three years ago when they announced it. And then this is the first gameplay we've seen since then. So I think a lot of people were expecting it to get majorly delayed because we didn't haven't seen anything from it. So yeah. I was very excited about this reveal because it looks like a very polished game now. Um, I, I actually really enjoyed their last open world game. Um, uh, infamous second son on PlayStation. It was one of the launch titles for PlayStation four. Very pretty, very fun open world game. And this looks obviously a lot more polished and a lot. Uh, it's right in my wheelhouse. I love Samurai. So the fact that it looks like a Samurai game where they're actually taking the Japanese culture seriously in it uh, has me very excited since a lot of Samurai stuff tends to go more towards bloodbaths and one guy killing thousands of people in a few minutes this looks more like almost like assassin's creed or uh like batman where you are super powerful as a samurai but it but it's in smaller groups and then on top of that you can play it stealth you can play it action and both looked really polished and really fun if in different ways uh and then the had a lot of really interesting open world mechanics uh Mm -hmm. did both did both of you watch it yes the yeah the fact that like animals and the environment are literally guiding you to the interesting aspects of the world is a really a really new take it's a nice it seems like a breath of fresh air in terms of like rather than just having a waypoint up there yeah um here's here's a way to to figure out how to get to what you need to get to uh, Mm -hmm. what, what we want you to see um while also not just throwing you in the deep end and being like, uh, you're getting no hints. <laughs> I, I was just going to say it reminds me of Breath of Wild, mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild, which is the you just kind of like wandered and then the world showed you stuff. Uh, and there wasn't like a bunch of stuff on your map that you like, what's this icon mean? I'm going to go look at this icon. It was what's that blue beam over the mountain? I got to go see what that blue beam is. Right. And this is, oh, what is this fox doing? What is this fox going to show me? Or why is the wind blowing this direction? Why is smoke coming off over the horizon? It's so much more interesting than what I'll call the generic Ubisoft game mechanic (laughs) of, hey, you unlocked generic tower now you can see all the things you can do in the area that are exactly like the last area. It's so much more interesting. Even even if it ends up being that just with the mechanic on finding them, that's different. It's already so much more interesting. Yeah. And what I was going to say is that um, to your point of it, of the game respecting Japanese culture, um, the, the integration of, the environment, right? If, if the birds and the foxes and the wind are, are guiding you to different aspects of the world. Um, it's kind of 
like uh you know the uh the spirits of the right. world are helping carry you on your on your adventure um and i think that's a really interesting take because yeah you could put a waypoint up um but how do you make it feel like you're just in the world and if you know if you're not paying attention you're not going to get anything out of it but if you're if you're listening for the signs uh you know the the world can guide you yep and uh i thought that was a pretty clever um and and they also went as far as to mention like you know maybe sometimes maybe it's just a fox who's like hey but maybe <laughs> sometimes it's a fox who's trying to take you to uh you know a hidden shrine somewhere and yeah. it, you don't mm-hmm. know until you decide to follow it or not well and it, it seems it seems so simple to me but the the really obvious one they used was there was a giant plume of smoke coming over the mountain or over the hill and i'm like why don't game more games do that that's such a simple mechanic that would show you where stuff is instead of somebody telling you or a sign pointing and i it like i saw it just immediately was like i can't believe that's not a common thing in video games because i think there's this is like a whole rant that i could go on uh so i'll really try to hold back (laughs) but i think it it's you know the um the games industry uh money and selling titles um maybe is at against odds with subtlety and craftsmanship (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you know a lot of people will sit down and play a game and if if they have to pay attention and learn about subtleties of things um they're less likely to stick with it. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've had so many games where I've, they've been built on that entire aspect and I've loved it. And then I try to share it with some friends or coworkers and they're like, yeah. this is boring. I don't get it. Like, this is, this is lame. I'm like, but you're not like looking at this bigger picture or just in immersing yourself in the environment. I felt this way about the witness. Um, yeah f- f- to me fantastic I, puzzle game that and even had, mist was like that mm-hmm. there yeah. was no there was nothing guiding you in mist yeah yeah and uh so yeah but i you know with uh with the witness i i still play that game um <laughs> there are levels and levels and levels of of the game it's, it's hard to describe without screwing things up or giving it away um, <laughs> but it's a very intelligently designed game, meticulously put together. And I, I think I would argue it is one of the most well put together and well designed games I have ever played. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you just jump in, look at it on the surface level and maybe not even finish, like, um, you it's going to seem very simple. And it's like, oh, I don't, uh, this is, uh, I'm making these puzzles and like, that's cool. But if you dig, um, and you let yourself like immerse in the environment, there is so much that's, that's the 80%, right? Yeah. Like 20% of the game is what is in the trailer and what you think you're going to get. The rest of it is exploring it on Mm -hmm. your own and, and learning these things and, uh, 
finding out what the game's really about. And yep. so I, f- I hope that Ghost of Tsushima is like that. Um, well, and, I, and I'm I'm hoping that it's so Breath of the Wild is the rare game that sold really well, despite being a game that does not hold your hand. And it so holds hoping, your hand a little bit, but it, it it guides you to the main story. Mm-hmm. But the but like you're talking about, eighty to ninety percent of the game is something you have to discover on your own. That nobody is going. It nothing in the game is going to go. You should go here and find this you have to physically like the puzzle the puzzle temples in breath of the wild they don't mark them on the map for you you have to go and see them right and that's really that's really different for a game uh so i'm hoping ghost of tsushima is the same thing where people will be interested in it because it's of that difference instead of being uh put off by it and and i think from what we've seen the gameplay looks fun enough that i think people probably will uh i think the problem with a game like uh the witness which i loved also is it it doesn't hold your hand even a tiny bit and then (laughs) you get thrown (laughs) you ask for it to hold your hand and it smacks you and says no (laughs) and and it's not even that i mean like it it doesn't really have a story at least not like a not like a I would say it has a theme, not a story. Right. It's it's not a point A to point B story. And then then like it almost immediately starts throwing philosophical arguments at you so that you're like, is this important? Do I need to be taking notes? Like there's a there was a legitimate point where I found the first like video in it and I'm like, is this like I'm aware of this argument. I've actually seen this video before. Do I need to like remember stuff from this to solve puzzles later? <laughs> and you don't. My it's, it's just stuff that he <laughs> that the Jonathan Blow found interesting. But uh, I th- yeah, even I who really liked that game, I beat the challenge in it, and then I don't think I ever picked it up up, up again after beating the challenge. So that challenge, man, freaking brutal. <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore. Though. But if you know what we're talking about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally cheated and took picture a picture to beat it. I'm just amazed you were able to take a picture and do something with it that quickly. Uh, I am a very fast picture person. Well, that part actually wasn't hard. It was the interpreting the picture, but I'm a very visual learner. So having a picture made it possible instead of amazingly, the part that you had trouble at, uh, I think I resorted to a pen and paper thing. Mm, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I I made a grid with pen and then I switched to pencil and I would erase it after each try. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but where I kept getting stuck was the stupid columns that you had to go around the, Oh yeah. yeah those, I, I still can't uh, wrap my head around them. I, <laughs> I lucked into literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor Brett. You didn't play The Witness, it's did you? Fine. No, nope. I have it downloaded, um, but I have not I have not uh, ever launched it. Do you do do you like puzzle games? Um yes. I do like puzzle games. Uh I got this like mm, whenever it came out on Game Pass, 
I think it's on no, it was Games with Gold one month or something like that. So I downloaded it because I was I was always interested, uh, but just never got around to it with today's grind grindy games that I play too much of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and honestly, just games that are less of a commitment. Even mm-hmm. even your even even the grindy games we're talking about on a day to day basis are very low commitment. Yeah. So. But yeah, I'm very uh, intrigued by Ghost of Tsushima, uh, Tsushima, and I don't, I don't have a PS4, um, so <laughs> I'm, <laughs> you know, it's not on my immediate play uh, list. That said, maybe, maybe one day I'll, uh, you know, if it is, and I'm sure it will be, backwards compatible with ps5 um or if i ever find a box that'll fit the yeah. ps4 <laughs> that's legitimately been the only reason i haven't sent it is i keep like getting stuff from amazon i'm like that's that's gonna be about the right size that'll be it'll, it'll it'll fit in there doesn't fit oh that's funny oh you don't have the original <laughs> box anymore no mm. I've, I've got a box here i could ship it to you and then you could <laughs> ship it to <laughs> brett <laughs> I will say that as someone who really enjoyed Breath of the Wild, this game has has me intrigued. So, um, I, you know, obviously it's a different game than Breath of the Wild, but I think right. a lot of what, Timothy, what you're saying and, and how I would agree that it kind of feels like Breath of the Wild. So, um, you know, maybe maybe I'll see reviews and, and that will deter me because they say differently. But until then, I am intrigued. Yeah. Cool. Anybody else have anything they want to talk about? Anything exciting you guys are doing? Uh, I want to give a shout out to a podcast that is now like uh, over a year old. Is that right? Yeah, it's like a year old now. Um, But it's uh, 13 minutes to the moon. I mentioned this in chat with you guys. But um, the BBC for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing did a really great uh, podcast on the Apollo 11 moon landing. And it's like, I don't know, maybe 11, 12 episodes long. And the, um, the title 13 minutes to the moon comes from like how long it took them to do their final descent burn from like orbiting the moon to on the ground. And the fact that all sorts of crazy stuff happened, in that 13 <laughs> minutes it was basically yep. like if you if you know what you're listening to and you listen to the radio chatter it's 13 minutes of like nail biting insanity <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and what the 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 magic of of what they do at the podcast is that they spend 10 episodes building up your knowledge base and interviewing the people like they're interviewing people who are not only like in mission control or in, you know, astronauts or part of the space program, but they're interviewing some of the people who are like on the tape recorder. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so they're able to talk to them about what they were thinking and why, and what was going on. And what's that story about that thing that happened like two weeks beforehand that you had like a conversation with somebody in the back room about and how it, how that conversation 
manifested in like you being able to have the answer. Like it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, and if you're at all interested in space flight, um, or like, you know, none of us were alive for the Apollo program, but uh, <laughs> I, I am like just constantly fascinated about the magnitude of what they had to do in the eight years that they had to like put the space program together, the Apollo program. Um, so anyway, yeah. So 13, Oh, sorry. Uh, was, I was going to say, so the whole point of it is that, um, you learn all this stuff, you get a, they, they take you through the tape recordings of mission control over and over and over again. And then right at the end, they have an episode where all it is, is just them playing the tape recording. All it is, is the radio chatter in real time. Oh, that's awesome. And you listen to it. And by the time you listen to this, you now know who the people are, what they're talking about, why this is a big deal. Yeah. They're, they're doing this rapid chatter. They're talking about stuff. Everybody's very well versed in what, you know, they're, they're, they're talking the talk and the podcast brings you up to speed enough that you can understand why everything that is said is important. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. It's pretty cool. So I absolutely recommend it. They started a season two this year that's now done um, following Apollo 13. And I'm listening through that one now, which is pretty cool. But since, since we're giving, I guess the recommendations of stuff, uh, I also mentioned it in the chat with you guys, but if you're looking for something, uh, especially lighthearted, I strongly recommend watching Taskmaster, uh, which there's tons of people that already know about it. It's very popular, but it's a British comedy show uh, that I've been very, I've, I've binged everything that's on YouTube and uh, it's very, very funny. Uh, it's basically a panel of comedians that uh, are given tasks by another comedian and then they're judged on how they complete the tasks and it can be really crazy stuff like using all the letters of the alphabet, cook a meal, and then you'll be judged on how good your meal is. And if it actually <laughs> uses all the letters of the alphabet, or it could be something really simple, like there's this hole, uh, a golf hole with a circular green around it, throw a potato in it in as few throws as possible. <laughs> That's awesome. I haven't watched this yet, but it's definitely on my to-do list. And it's very funny. How long are each, uh, are the episodes? Other uh, 45 minutes, but oh, pr it's pretty good. Okay. It is a British show though. So each season, I think the first season is six episodes. And then as it got more popular, I think they got up to 10 episodes. So how many series are they at now? Uh, they just did nine. Oh, wow. Last year. Okay. So they've been doing it for a little while. Yeah. They, they tried to remake it in the U S and did one season and then it never came back. So, so besides what the fanboy, Brett, what would you recommend? Well, I want to kind of riff off of, you know, what you were saying, uh, Michael on, you know, something that has history, um, but, but yet it's relevant to us. Um, and this is also a podcast, but it hasn't had a new episode in, in two years. Um, it's the Starside Lounge podcast. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were, you were going to do that. 
<laughs> it uh, it features the the origin story of this team uh, in a couple episodes. Uh, don't go listen to that. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's awful and horrible. <laughs> I mean, amazing, amazing, amazing. That's right. That's what because we haven't had an episode in 25 months. It was that amazing. We just stopped while we were ahead, right? <laughs> The last episode was just so perfect. It was that too we perfect. just we just quit. Yep, yep. Uh, but actually, this week I watched a, a new series um, over on Hulu. It's called Solar Opposites. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, it is um, from one half of the uh, Rick and Morty co-creator minds, Justin um, Roland. Justin Roland. Um, also from Community, if you've watched Community. Uh, I, If you like Rick and Morty, I think you'll probably love this. Um, I think it's even more digestible than Rick and Morty. Um, I learned to love Rick and Morty, uh, but it's pretty brash. Um, it's really rough around the edges, and that's, and that's part of just its design, um, how it's written and, 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 and whatnot. But... This one, I think, has a, a bit of a softer tone um, in terms of, oh, like, these are all pretty likable characters, and I'm rooting for them, and, you know, there's some shenanigans that happen. Um, it's pretty fun. It is it is definitely a little more um, still adult-themed in terms of language and whatnot, um, but really, really funny. Justin Rowland just keeps hitting it out of the park with pretty much anything he's a part of. <laughs> In my opinion, like uh, I haven't watched it, but uh, like Rick and Morty is very high concept. Like it's Mm -hmm. uh, the the concept of each episode is more important than the comedy and builds into the comedy. But it's Mm -hmm. the concept's always more important than the com than the comedy of the episode. Um, The concept's more important than the comedy of the episode. Uh, So i'm guessing since this doesn't have dan Harmon, because dan Harmon is very much he's the meta part of <laughs> of that team i'm guessing this one's a little bit more comedy focused uh than concept focused uh yeah i would i would say that um it definitely still has some some overarching meta things throughout the season um but it's it's way more surface level, and I think that's probably why it's more digestible overall. Right. Um. It's it's easier to get into, I think, than Rick and Morty is. Yeah. Makes sense. So yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Insufficiently Advanced. Something something. Music. <laughs>
do you have any kind of NAS like storage device thing? No. Nothing? Nothing. I'm oh. a terrible person, I know. Dude, do you back your data up? I do back my data up. Well, that's just good. not okay. on a NAS. Alright. <laughs> I also don't have that much data that's all that terribly important. So Yeah. I get you. I don't know. Yeah. It, it to me at this point in my in my life slash career, I haven't found it um terribly compelling to spend a bunch of money just to back up uh, I guess like some of my raw footage and I mean obviously there's other stuff out there, but all those all those things are delivered to like delivered to client and out of my hands. And I don't have any responsibility to keep to keep backups of that. That's on them at that at that point. Um so I've I've still got stuff from, you know, the last eight years basically, but uh I've never had to access like any of it. So I haven't felt the the need <laughs> to to really invest in a yeah. nice system. Well I think like what what percentage of your stuff Bjorn is not uh Plex. <laughs> Video. Uh, <laughs> we're talking number of files or uh, file size? Percentage. Yeah, percentage of file size. Oh, percentage of file size? Yeah, it's like, I don't know, I got a couple terabytes of photography work. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. So and, it's like you don't need it unless you're doing something like Plex or doing a massive amount of video editing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I don't have an as, but I have a 24 terabyte raid hard drive or <laughs> raid hard drive. That's redundant. Uh, <laughs> I've got a raid 24 terabyte raid connected to my server. And even with my Plex, I'm still not even using four terabytes of my 24 terabytes so far. Oh, wow. What, what I will say is now that I'm in the next year or so looking at doing, um, more like indie films, those kinds of things. Like I probably will want something, something. Yeah. Um, but since I haven't filmed anything yet, I don't feel that need, <laughs> but good to be thinking about. I, I, I follow slow-mo guys mm-hmm. and their second channel. And just like, Oh my goodness. Hearing him talk about file sizes is like, Oof. It's insane. <laughs> I cannot imagine what those guys go through. Yeah. Well, he had one where like uh, some other YouTube channel helped him set up a like a giant file server, and it was it was huge. It was like half a half, I want to say it was like half a petabyte. And he was like, "Great, this will last me like three months." And the guy just like <laughs> looked so disheartened. <laughs> But like oh, he was legitimately no. like, this is awesome. It's going to last me three months. <laughs> and the other guy's like, that's it. And it's like, no, that's like a big deal. Like, you, thank you. <laughs> I really am gracious. I'm not being smart. Not sarcasm. <laughs> that's nuts. I am presently pushing a backup. Uh, so Synology. The Synology systems have a, um, um, what's it called? Amazon S3. You can you can back up to an Amazon S3 or S3 compatible system. Uh, and it does like versioned backups and you know 
rotation and stuff, which is awesome. But uh, Backblaze just like in the last couple of weeks launched their S3 compatibility layer. And so now the Synology systems can back up to Backblaze. Backblaze has had the, like they have the best sort of price for storage amount. Um, yeah. I think for me to back up my, my photography data is like, that's less than 10 bucks a month for a couple terabytes. Yeah. But it does not upload particularly fast. So no. it's, uh, it's been going for the last like four days. <laughs> no, I mean, that's cause you said you're using back, back plays. That's what I use too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, like, uh, I think it took two or three weeks to upload my entire external and it, it wasn't even four terabytes. Uh, I've got right now I've got 3.6 terabytes backed up. So that's pretty big. Yeah. I'm only, I'm only pushing, um, like my working files, uh, n- none of the media is like the video media is all offline. Um, yeah. The, the nice thing is that would cost way too much. The The nice thing is you just, if, if you ever lose it, they just send you a hard drive. I mean, you got to pay for the hard drive, but that's yeah, still, they have a thing called a fireball, easier. uh, that they'll send you, which is basically like an eight drive NAS that has everything on it. And they'll just, they'll send you that <laughs> you have to pay a deposit on the cost of the NAS. And then when you ship it back, they refund you the deposit. Uh, are you paying the personal, are you doing the personal backup plan? It's the B2 plan. So they have the personal, they have the, I don't know if it's business, there's like a different one and then they have, and then they have the B2. Oh, you is yours. So yours isn't even, yours isn't even really a back, like a backup plan. It's a cloud storage plan. Um, right. It's a cloud storage plan, but I'm using it as a backup target. So that's right. so Synology right. is managing the Synology unit is managing the versions and the, um, the rotation to delete old backups. Right. Yeah. So mine's just a personal backup. Right. And you can do that because you have the, you have the direct attached storage. So you get to. That's why I went as your device attach. Yeah. But this, the Synology, the, the NAS is so good. It's so useful. Yeah. Actually. Um, and then I took my old NAS. I shipped it to my cousin who's in California. Actually, I did the backup here first. Then I shipped it to him and he plugged it in and I'm doing nightly backups to that. And uh, that has everything. Yeah. So mine, mine doesn't have like the fireball plan. It's just literally they'll, if I pay them, I think it's like $200. They'll send me the entire backup. If mine ever fails, which that's a lot of money, but honestly not that bad. <laughs> like if you're, if you're dealing with data loss at the point where you've got to get your, you know, your network backup, uh, people well, involved. Well, here's the thing with the prices we're at now, it would cost me about $200 to get an eight terabyte backup drive mm-hmm. for my yep. direct attach. So until I get over eight terabytes, it actually doesn't make sense to buy a personal backup because they can just send it to me. Yeah. Not planning on buying one until I hit over eight terabytes, which at this rate isn't going to happen anytime soon. 
Yeah, we covered your NAS topic there. We did. <laughs> <laughs> now you now you can splice that in if we if we're if this ends up being a flop of an episode.